This is Alan Johnson, pastor of Old Peach Street Presbyterian Church in Duluth, Georgia. The Bible is God's Word. It describes itself as living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Therefore, any encounter with the Bible is a momentous thing because it never leaves us unchanged. My prayer for you as you hear this message is that the Holy Spirit will use it in your life to inform your mind, to feed your soul, and to help you grow in your faith in Christ. Your Bibles and turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 1. Jeremiah 1, we're looking this evening at verses 11 through 19. We saw last time the Lord came to Jeremiah uh, calling him to service to himself, uh, informing Jeremiah that even before he was born, even before Jeremiah uh, was here, God had known him, consecrated him, and appointed him a prophet to the nations, and counters Jeremiah's objections, assuring him of his presence with him and of the mission that he had for him. And so we pick up with verse 11. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see an almond branch. Then the Lord said to me, You have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Then the Lord said to me, Out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come, and every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against all its walls all round, and against all the cities of Judah. And I will declare my judgments against them for all their evil in forsaking me. They have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. But you, dress yourself for work. Arise and say to them everything that I command you. Do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. And I, behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar and bronze walls against the whole land against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Let's pray. Father, open to us this evening your word. Uh, Clear away the the weariness of the hour. Uh, Give us sharp minds, Father, to study your word, to give our best thoughts and attention to the scriptures tonight as we study it together. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Parents name their children the names that they do for any number of reasons. Sometimes it may be uh, the association of the name. Maybe it was the name of a, of a close friend, or uh, maybe it was a family name. Or it may be that the name is given because of the significance or the meaning of the name. The, much the same was true in Bible times. People sometimes gave names to their children because it was a family name. You'll recall 
uh, when Zechariah uh, wanted to name his son John, it was objected, well, no one in your family has that name. Uh, and yet that was the, the name that the, the Lord had told him he was to give his son. His, his name was to be John, John the Baptist. Uh, we don't. They didn't call him the Baptist, but we did to distinguish him from John the Apostle. Uh, but there are other reasons people in the scriptures gave uh, names to their children, and very often a primary uh, reason had to do with the meaning of the name. When it comes to Jeremiah's name, we don't know for sure what his name means. It means either something like the Lord is exalted or the Lord throws. Any biblical name, by the way, that ends with that Yah, uh, like Jeremiah or Elijah or Hilkiah, uh, that Yah is the name of the Lord and usually means the Lord is something or the Lord does something. Well, in Jeremiah's case, it could mean either the Lord is exalted or the Lord throws. And so when the priest Hilkiah and his wife uh, gave a name to their baby boy, the name Jeremiah, Uh, We can imagine that they anticipated that he might be one in whom the name of the Lord would be lifted up, that the Lord would be exalted in the life and the character and the work of their son. Or it could be that as they gave him the name Jeremiah, they anticipated that he would be one whom the Lord would hurl as a javelin-like ambassador at his covenant people bringing God's message both of judgment and of mercy, the Lord throwing Jeremiah against his people. And in fact, both were true. Certainly the Lord was exalted in Jeremiah's faithfulness, in his boldness, in his commitment to carry out the calling that God had placed upon him. And certainly it was also true that the Lord really did take up Jeremiah like a spear, like a javelin, and hurl him at the wayward people of Judah. As we take up these verses here this evening, they really form the the, the second half to Jeremiah's call. Uh, They begin to point us in the direction in which Jeremiah's ministry would go as we uh, look at these words here before us. Uh, Basically, as the Lord speaks to Jeremiah here through these visions and directly, he assures him of three truths, truths that were relevant for Jeremiah and his day, but also certainly for us in the day in which we live also. The first truth that uh, the Lord gives to Jeremiah is that having to do with the reliability of God's word, the reliability of God's word. And this is shown in this first vision, verse 11, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? Well, Jeremiah looks, and what he sees is, as he says, uh, an almond branch, or a branch uh, or a rod from an almond tree. Basically, he sees an almond branch, and the Lord says, good, you see well. Your prophetic vision is 2020, uh, and this vision that I'm giving to you, you have seen correctly. The Lord says, for I am watching over my word to perform it. Now, there's a pun here that's brought out. I think most English versions note that the word for almond and the word for watching are very similar words. Uh, the word, the Hebrew word for almond is shakade. The Hebrew word for watching is shokade. 
a little bit of a vowel difference there, but very similar sounding words. And Jeremiah says, I see an almond branch. And the Lord says, well, good, because I am watching. I am that watching over my word to perform it. And the assurance here right up front for Jeremiah is that the message the Lord gives Jeremiah, the message that he proclaims will be accomplished. God says, I am watching over my word. I'm making sure that what I say will, in fact, happen. Now, the almond tree was usually the first tree to, uh, to blossom there in Anathoth. And in fact, to this day, where the village of Anathoth was, where Jeremiah was from, uh, now known as Anatah, uh, the almonds are still there. The almond trees still blossom. And uh, just as those blooms were latent within the branches, so in, in due time, they began to come out. They began to become visible. And the tree was transformed from its bare wood into all of these blooms. Well, the Lord says, just as the almond tree bears fruit, so my word also will bear fruit. God says, in fact, not just that it will. He says, I'm watching over it to be sure that it does. Now, this is a truth taught certainly in other places in Scripture. We think of uh, the words that the Lord spoke through Isaiah, uh, where he assures us, my word will not return to me uh, empty. It will not come back having failed, but it will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it. You think, what's just words? What can words do? Well, when it's the word of God, it can do a great deal. Uh, later in Jeremiah uh, chapter 23 the Lord assures us, he says, my word is like a fire. My word is like a hammer that breaks the rock. So when it's the word of God, it can accomplish a great deal. There's a sense in which 11 and 12 here, uh, where God assures Jeremiah of the trustworthiness, the reliability of his word, is like uh, Romans 1, verses 16 and 17, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in the gospel, the power of God is revealed, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. And that, those verses set the theme of the book of Romans that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and that it brings righteousness for everyone who believes. Well, here, right up front, again, we have something of the program, the theme verse for the book of Jeremiah, where God says, essentially, though it may look dormant at times, I am watching over my word. And Jeremiah, my word that you proclaim, I will watch over to perform it. Jeremiah need not be afraid that the things that he says will not happen that somehow God's going to let him down. And so that's the first thing here, is the reliability of God's word. Certainly something Jeremiah needed to know, something we need to know as well. For one, we have staked our eternal well-being on the word of God. And God says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. We speak to one another. We speak to others outside the church of God's word, what God has done for us in Christ, what God promises to do for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Are we just sharing with them wishful thinking? No, God says, I am watching over my word to perform it. So the first thing that the Lord assures Jeremiah of is the reliability of his word, that he is guarding it, he is watching it, and in fact, what he says he will do, he will do. Now, the second truth that we find here in this passage has to do 
uh, at the beginning of Jeremiah's ministry has to do with the fearsomeness of God's judgment. First, the reliability of God's word, but then also the, the fearsomeness and the terrifying nature of God's judgment. And we see this in the second vision that the Lord gives, verses 13 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, What do you see? And Jeremiah said, I said, I see a boiling pot facing away from the north. Now, Jeremiah is describing here just an ordinary pot, fire going under it, uh, and the wind, in fact, blowing on that fire, uh, intensifying its heat, making the water boil, scalding water. However, it's not just a pot boiling, it's a tilted pot, because it is facing away from the north. That's the vision that Jeremiah sees. And then the Lord explains in verse 14. Then the Lord said to me, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. The meaning of the vision, this boiling pot, the scalding water pointing away from the north, is that out of the north, uh, an invasion will come into the land of Judah. Now at this point, it's not specific, other than some nation out of the north. It could be the Scythians, a warlike nation uh, in that day. It could be the Assyrians who have held sway for uh, many years, very powerful, and yet by this point, the Assyrian Empire is in decline. It's crumbling. It's, it's power and its hold on the nations uh, beginning to falter. Could point to the Babylonians, uh, a nation on the rise, a nation whose power is increasing and whose uh, influence is spreading far and wide. But the point is here, this vision, uh, is that there is a threat to the north. The Lord says, out of the north, disaster shall be let loose upon all the inhabitants of the land. But then he goes on in more detail. Verse 15. For behold, I am calling all the tribes of the kingdoms of the north, declares the Lord, and they shall come. And every one shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem against all its walls all around and against all the cities of Judah. So the other thing that we notice here is that the Lord is calling these nations. This is not just the Lord sitting back and, and seeing the events of history unfold, but rather he is the one who is bringing these nations down against Judah in invasion. And not just an invasion, but in victory, in conquest. Look at again what, how the Lord describes it here. They shall come and everyone shall set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. That actually was done. Uh, rulers would do that. They would establish their throne uh, in the gates at the, the meeting point. The central focus uh, would be equivalent today to our town square or the courthouse. Uh, at the gates of the capital city, they would establish a throne, a presence there to make very visible and very tangible the fact that this town, this city, this place was now under new management. And it was a little bit of an in-your-face move. You know, it's kind of like, you know, you've seen the pictures of, of uh, actually of a hunter maybe with his foot on his, on his, uh, on his prey. He's got his gun, you know, he's, he's conquered this animal. Sometimes you see that parody, you know, you have your foot on somebody, you know. Well, that's kind of what that was. They, you know, set up their throne, get pictures there. They now rule. They've taken the city. It belongs to them. Uh, and they are now in control. Well, for Israel... Covenant people of God, 
For Jerusalem, the, the city of David, the city of God, the city of God's presence, that was unthinkable. It was unimaginable that the nations, these filthy Gentiles, would come into their city. And yet that's what the Lord says is going to happen. That the unthinkable would not only become thinkable, but it would in fact happen. And so in this vision, the Lord is describing invasion from the north, not just invasion, but actual conquest and the fall of the city. But why? Well, God is never unclear about why he is bringing his judgment. Verse 16, I will declare my judgments against them. Unless they mistake what's going on, this is God's judgment. For all their evil in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Why is this happening? Well, God says it's because they have forsaken me. Because they have worshipped other gods, because they've made offerings up to other gods, they've worshipped the works of their own hands. And so I'm bringing this judgment. Well, has God thrown away his covenant? Has he, has he uh, rendered null and void his covenant with his people? Absolutely not. God is keeping his covenant. God is fulfilling the curse side of the covenant. Now, you'll turn to Deuteronomy 28. Uh, you ladies who were in the study uh, all know Deuteronomy well. You know uh, particularly the, the blessings and the curses of Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. Uh, Jeremiah, or rather Deuteronomy 28, uh, is, is, a, is a chapter that describes the blessings and the curses. The blessings for their obedience and faithfulness to the Lord, and their curses if they are disobedient and unfaithful to their covenant Lord. Uh, you'll note that the blessing section is significantly shorter than the curse section. Uh, we won't read uh, the curses in their entirety, but they go on in, 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 in sometimes painful detail of God's judgments, the, the difficulty, the calamities that he would bring, and in fact go into some of the horrors of being under siege, which is precisely what happened to Jerusalem uh, in, in its wickedness. But I do want us to look uh, at Deuteronomy 28 and verse 58 kind of just encapsulates everything that goes on in this chapter. The Lord says, Deuteronomy twenty-eight fifty-eight, If you are not careful to do all the words of this law that are written in this book, that you may fear this glorious and awesome name, the Lord your God, then the Lord will bring on you and your offspring extraordinary afflictions, afflictions severe and lasting and sicknesses grievous and lasting. And he will bring upon you again all the diseases of Egypt, of which you were afraid, and they shall cling to you. Every sickness also, and every affliction that is not recorded in the book of this law, the Lord will bring upon you until you are destroyed. Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven. Remember that promise to Abraham? Whereas you were as numerous as the stars of heaven, you shall be left few in number. Because you did not obey the voice of the Lord your God. And as the Lord took delight in doing you good and multiplying you, so the Lord will take delight in bringing ruin upon you and destroying you. And you shall be plucked off the land that you were entering to take possession of. Words spoken by Moses to Israel as they were preparing to go into the promised land. 
tragically, Israel uh, became just like the nations they displaced, and in fact worse in some ways than the nations that they displaced, and certainly more culpable before God because of the revelation he had given to them, the covenant that they had with him. And so when God promises this judgment to come, God hasn't cast aside his covenant. He's keeping the covenant. He's fulfilling the covenant because they chose to worship gods of their own making. They chose to be unfaithful to the God who had brought them out of Egypt and called them to himself and given them his word, blessed them with his presence. And so God is simply fulfilling what he said all along he would do to bring all of this calamity upon them and ultimately to remove them from the land into which he had brought them. Why? For all their evil in forsaking me, they have made offerings to other gods and worship the works of their own hands. Dear friends, the judgment of God is not just an Old Testament phenomenon. The greatest judgment is yet to come. For all those who are outside of Christ Jesus, that judgment awaits Uh, And certainly not only the Old Testament, but the New Testament as well speaks of the judgment of God, the hell that awaits all of those who pass into eternity, standing on their own record of unfaithfulness, of wickedness, of sin. Uh, The judgment has already come, however. If you were in Christ, God's judgment came down upon Jesus as he uh, died there on the cross. For you, Judgment Day, if you were a Christian, Judgment Day has come and gone. Jesus bore in himself everything depicted in those covenant curses that God spelled out in Deuteronomy chapter 28. But for those who are not in Christ, this judgment still awaits. The boiling cauldron of God's wrath is tilted and one day will be poured out. So as the Lord speaks to Jeremiah, he assures him of the reliability of his word. He also impresses upon him uh, the fearsomeness of his judgments uh, on his wayward people and a message we take to heart as well. But then he also, in the third place, assures him of the protection of God's man. Look at verse uh, 17. Having described the meaning of the vision of the boiling pot, he now says, but you, you, Jeremiah, dress yourself for work. Now, I like the ESV, but that seems to me, I mean, to me, that gets, he's getting a shirt and tie on. That's not the point here. Sometimes the phrase is translated, uh, uh, get ready for action, maybe more accurate. The point is, literally, gird up your loins, take your robe, pull it up so your feet, your legs are clear, hitch the robe up in your belt. Uh, an equivalent phrase for us might be, roll up your sleeves, get ready to go to work. Uh, remove any encumbrance. Uh, but the Hebrew phrase is gird up your loins, hitch up your robe, in other words, so that your legs are free and clear uh, and you're ready to, uh, be, to be able to do the task unencumbered. Dress yourself for work, arise and say to them everything I command you. Now the Lord here, as he assures Jeremiah of his protection, is preparing him. Uh, and he, he, uh, he admonishes him to declare everything. I command you. Now, we've already seen last week uh, the Lord's speaking to Jeremiah, making it clear to Jeremiah that you will say, whatever I command you, you shall speak. And wherever I send you, you shall go and speak to those people. Well, here again, get ready, Jeremiah, and say to them everything I've commanded you. Um, We dare not hold back anything of God's truth. Uh, It reminds me of Paul 
in uh, Acts chapter 20 when he's speaking to the Ephesian elders. And he said, I have not withheld from you anything of the whole counsel of God. I have declared to you the whole counsel, the whole truth of God. And uh, that's just in effect what the Lord is saying to Jeremiah here. You are to declare everything that I command you. And then he goes on to say, do not be dismayed by them, lest I dismay you before them. You know, it's kind of like last week when I said, you know, when you hear, do not be afraid, that's when you feel that chill go down your back and know there's reason to be afraid. A little bit of that here, but there is a warning saying, Jeremiah, don't be dismayed before these people, or I will dismay you before them. Uh, very similar, I think, to what uh, we read in Mark 8, where Jesus said, if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and wicked generation, then I will be ashamed of him before my father when I come uh, with his glory and with the angels. So he's encouraging Jeremiah here to be bold, not to be afraid, uh, but rather to proclaim everything. Now, it continues to prepare him. He says uh, in, in verse 18, Behold, I make you this day, I make you this day, a fortified city, an iron pillar, pillar and a bronze wall against the whole land. Now, again, the protection of God's man here, as the Lord prepares him for this work, notice what he says, make you a fortified city. The idea is a city uh, often, in this case, would be set at a higher elevation on a hill with a wall around it, making it very difficult to attack, very difficult to take, a secured place, a secure city, uh, an iron pillar. I think of a, of a steel I-beam. But the idea here is not something of a monolith, like you might, like the Washington Monument or something, but rather a, a column, a post, a pillar holding up, part of the supporting structure, uh, able to stand, able to hold up the weight that is on it. And he says, a bronze, bronze walls. Now, that's unusual. Walls weren't bronze. Uh, sometimes gates might be bronze, at least on the outside, wood, but overlaid with bronze. Uh, but the Lord says of Jeremiah, I will make you to be a bronze wall before the, the people. Now, again, notice he's not saying, now, Jeremiah, you know, you need to be a fortified city. You need to be like a, a strong pillar. You need to be a bronze wall. Notice the emphasis at the beginning. And I, behold, I make you this day to be these things. There was something here that was outside of Jeremiah. There was something here that only God could put into him that would give him the resilience, that would give him the stamina, that would give him the strength to stand in the kind of difficult ministry that he was going to have emotionally, mentally, spiritually, and certainly physically to declare this message of judgment and, and in the face of opposition against the whole land, against, the Lord gets specific, the kings of Judah, Josiah, Jehoiakim, Zedekiah. They would be opposed. The officials of Jerusalem, the priests. Jeremiah himself was the son of a priest, and yet he would find opposition even among the ones who perhaps more than anyone should have known the word of the Lord and valued its truth and understood the covenant, and the people of the land. Jeremiah was not in for a popular ministry. He was not a folk hero to the people of Judah. 
Practically everyone would be against him at one time or another. Practically everyone would count Jeremiah his enemy at one time or another. That's why the Lord said, I, behold, I make you a fortified city, a strong pillar, a bronze wall. Because Jeremiah was going to need every bit of that strength that God could give him to carry out the ministry. But in the protection of God's man, it's not just the preparation the Lord put into him here, but also the promise that we find of God's presence in verse 19. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you. Because whatever else Jeremiah has, whatever strength of character he has, he also has this, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. Now, if that sounds familiar, look back at verse 8. Do not be afraid of them. For I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Again, this this promise of God's presence, that the Lord is with him. And that's true for us today as God's people. Uh, The Lord does give us the strength to do those things he calls us to, to handle the situations into which he brings us. The Lord promises that he is with us. Those promises made to his people are true of us as a church, as families, and even as individual children of God. I am with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. God will not abandon us. And even in the darkest of times, child of God, he has not abandoned you. The Lord says to us, just as he said to Jeremiah, I am with you to deliver you. Well, as you look at the uh, the expressions back in verse 18, the city, the pillar, the walls, uh, Derek Kidner in his commentary has a, has a magnificent insight. As you read those, you think, well, that's just metaphorical. That's, it may be even exaggeration. Well, not really. You know, when the walls of Jerusalem had been broken down, when the gates had been smashed, when the temple was in ruins, when the whole city was leveled, Jeremiah was still standing. Jerusalem was gone, but Jeremiah and the truth he stood for were still standing. Well, as God's people, we often are a lot like Jeremiah in a day, especially like ours. We're called to stand against the tide. We're called to swim against the current. We're called to live in a way counter to the prevailing trends and customs and habits of the people among whom we live. And like Jeremiah, we may well have enemies all around us. And the enemies we face are often far more uh, fearsome than we might imagine. But as Jeremiah, God equips us for the fight and he promises to be with us so that we too, like Jeremiah, might stand. Centuries later, one follower of Christ would put it this way in Ephesians chapter 6. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all. To stand like Jeremiah. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that uh, we too live in the midst of a wicked and adulterous generation. Father, there is not anything in our society, in our culture, that encourages us 
to a heart-level walk with you that encourages us to cultivate and pursue righteousness, purity, godliness, faithfulness. But Father, we pray that as you have planted the seed of your word in our hearts, as you have given us that new life uh, in Christ, as you have given to us your Holy Spirit, that you would indeed make us in this culture in which we live a fortified city, uh, a mighty pillar, uh, like people of bronze walls, so that we might be able to stand. But Father, we also pray with an eye toward the book of Acts that we would also come out of our bronze walls and fortified cities and minister your grace and compassion and mercy to the society around us, Lord, that apart from Christ does in fact face the scalding water, the fiery hell of your judgment. Father, we pray that like Jeremiah, we too would stand and glorify and exalt your name. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.